Ladies and gentlemen, this picture contains scenes which under no circumstances should be viewed by anyone with a heart condition or anyone who is easily upset. Hey, welcome back to Caustic Contents, the podcast where two dear friends try to torture each other uh, by attempting to find the absolute worst thing streaming on the internet. Uh, I'm Steve, and joining me as always, Adam Myros. Uh, hey, Steve. I don't, I don't know if we found the worst thing this week, but uh, we certainly found one of the more fascinating things we've yeah. covered. I, I would argue uh, we may have accidentally found the best thing, um, <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, also joining us this week, uh, our, our neutral third party to potentially cast a deciding vote, Stephen Coleman. That's right. I'm Switzerland. I feel like we should have just uh, watched Anonymous again, just so Coleman had the experience. Just to fuck him up. He would have actually killed us. Did, did you, <laughs> you don't know about Anonymous, do you? How can I know about Anonymous? If it's Anonymous, uh, uh, no. But uh, I should probably dig in. No, you should, probably shouldn't. Uh, last week, I, yeah, I chose this movie called Anonymous, and it's just uh, like this like portly guy uh, looks like a, a fucking trash bag full of mayonnaise and his horsey sauce ass just walks around <laughs> with a GoPro filming himself and it's four hours long. Oh my God. Um, yeah. Yeah. Here's the real plot twist. I lost. <laughs> <laughs> Colin has a brain disease. It's okay. Anyways, uh, we're back. And my God, what a week it has been. Um, Myros, I, I think we should start with your movie. But before we do, why don't you give our listeners a rundown of the rules? I can do that, Steve. Uh, we're only allowed to use what the streaming service provides us, which we've been using Tubi more lately. And, and that creates a problem because they, they provide you with fucking nothing. So uh, <laughs> good luck. But yeah, it, it, it worked out this time. I'll say that. Uh, we also try to stay away from found footage. Uh, to Sammy, no one wants it. Uh, we also have what we call the Godfrey Ho Clause, which is to say one film per director, unless we want to do a, a special focus episode, which, again, we've been running into a lot of these directors lately where we might have to, to make some exceptions, uh, including this week. And these also can't be anything either of us have previously seen, which would be a real problem, because I know Steve just sits around watching Deadly Lessons on a loop. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's kind of what I want to do now. Uh, but anyways, uh, you know, you might be sitting out there asking yourself. Uh, what has acclaimed Grindhouse director Ted V. Mickles been doing? Acclaimed. And the answer is he's he's dead. So he hasn't been doing anything. But what was he doing until that happened? That's a great question. And uh, yes, the man who gave you uh, the corpse grinders. And of course, uh, the song that I believe was probably like a misfit song in the 1980s, right? Astro Zombies. This is, is probably his most famous movie. It is indeed a pretty excellent misfit song. That's right. And it's, uh, it's, it's not from your favorite era of the misfits because you're a big Michael Graves guy, right? Oh, yeah. I can't get enough. <laughs> oh. How about his politics, too? Woo! <laughs> How fucking stupid is that? It's like you're the guy who replaced Danzig and your entire thing is you got to like not wear a shirt and like put on skeleton makeup and like sing two minute punk songs about zombies. And it turns out that you're a fucking conservative Republican. <laughs> yeah, yes, uh, hi, this is Michael Graves. And uh, I just I miss the days of Reagan. Are you fucking kidding me? Anyways, I bet he loves when eagles dare. Ah, <laughs> it's about eagles. Uh, well, I, I guess we agree on one thing, because where eagles dare? All-timer. All-timer. Absolute all-timer. Maybe, maybe the best punk song for my money, I gotta oh, say. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about best punk song. It's, it's got it's, I mean, it's easily a top five Misfits song, maybe top three Misfits song. I'll give you that. It's, it's the only top five Misfits song that isn't uh, featured on Famous Monsters. It's another Michael Graves jokes, folks. I got a bunch of them. <laughs> Literally, no one is laughing. Uh, <laughs> because why would they? <laughs> uh, anyways, so it turns out Ted V. Mickles, and I, I, maybe I shouldn't have used the, the, 
word acclaimed. <laughs> yeah, acclaimed as in like most people consider uh, the bulk of his work to be among the worst films ever made in his sure. prime. Much less, but people uh, know like who he 40 is. Years later, <laughs> yeah. Like I mean, there's there's a certain segment of film fans. If you're if you're a horror fan, if you're one of those dorks at a convention trying to look at Elvira's boobs, you probably know who Ted V. Mickles is. Yeah, he's like uh, poor man's Ed Wood. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, which is saying something. But, you know, uh, m- most of us figured that he made his movies in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and then just kind of gracefully bowed out. And, uh, you know, if you know anything about the guy, you know that he partied very hard throughout the 1970s, but he continued to work because he found that, uh, you know, you, you can you can work out of Las Vegas instead of Los Angeles and, and save some cash and he got into licensing, I think, like music, like just kind of like generic music for you know commercials, things like that. Uh, so he he made a little bit of money and he kept on making movies. Who would have thunk it? I was going to say, he must not have made that much money. Otherwise, why would he yeah. be doing this at like the age of 80? <laughs> that's and that's the other question. Uh, Ted V. Mickles at the age of 80 and, and after the age of 80, because there's another. This is Astro Zombies M3 cloned that we are talking about today. And there was actually an Astro Zombies M4 that came out after this. Like it was the last movie he made in 2017 before he passed away. And he was 87 or something like that uh, when he died. Steve, the last movie he ever made was uh, Ten Violent Women Part 2, another sequel to like a 50-year-old film. Uh, Love it. Invaders Love from it. Cyberspace is 2012, so not too far after. It immediately follows Cloned here and the Astro Zombies saga wrapped up mm. a few years before his death. Yeah, well, that's good. I'm glad he was able to realize his vision before kicking the bucket. Yeah, so here we are. Ted V. Mickles is 80 years old. Is he making these movies to make money, or is it a passion project for him? I I, I don't know. It doesn't feel very passionate when you're watching it. Uh, And also, I cannot conceive of a situation where it would make money, unless he just needed something to sign at these conventions that he was probably featured in. So here we are, Ted V. Mickles. Uh, This was... A little shot on video number. It looks like shit. Oh boy, does it. <laughs> Has a real like VHS backyard I feel to it. I actually thought my internet was out when I started watching this. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's kind of like, yeah, it's just pixelated and overly compressed. And it really does like, because it's, it's a guy with a rubber mask and the whole thing feels very like 90s cheapy teenager in New Jersey shot on video. Uh, that's kind of the aesthetic. Everything's yeah, I'm washed DV. out. It's probably DV, I would imagine. Yeah. It, it looks like total shit. Yeah, it's absolute trash. And uh, the other thing that's great about it, too, is, uh, you know, not only is Ted V. Nichols, was he trying to continue to make films, but I feel like he was just constantly trying to get the band back together and give it his old buddies work, because there's a lot of old motherfuckers in this movie uh, just kind of farting around. So essentially what you have is you have a zero budget movie that you would uh, assume was like shot by a bunch of like juggalo teenagers in 1998 when in fact it was shot by a real director and it's not teenagers it's a bunch of fucking old people it's astro zombies m3 cloned hooray well i was trying to figure out who was like a an old contributor and francine york is the only one that i i could pick out i mean it's hard to Hard to pull a lot of these things because they're also like low budget actors that none of them have like real IMDb profiles or anything. So it's like, yeah, you're not going to click through every person, but she's the one who stuck out. Uh, she just plays God in heaven knows one of many random authority figures on a, a cell phone. Uh, but she is a star of his early, one of his early films, uh, The Doll Squad, which this is oddly enough also a sequel to. Uh, some sort of uh, Avengers action going out here. The Doll Squad oh. meets uh, Astro Zombies. But uh, yeah, other than that, I don't know who the fuck any of these people are. I just know that they're, they're all awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, it truly was the crossover event of 2010. Yeah, I, everybody's terrible. Um, everybody looks like shit. Everything sounds like shit. Uh, it, it's just, it's unpleasant. But hey, here's a question for you. Uh, Stephen Coleman, have, have you seen Astro Zombies 1 or 2? I have not. Oh, what a shame. But 
Does it matter? That's a better <laughs> I question. I think so. Well, there was a good recap at the start. <laughs> is there ever a recap? Boy, howdy. Um, and this is great, too, because essentially all you needed to do was give us a montage. But these movies are so, like, just devoid of plot that all you get is it's just a big stew of shit. There's just a bunch of random scenes thrown together. Like, there's an astro zombie and, and then the saucer crashed lands. Now there's another one. And here we are. Astro Zombies M3 cloned. See, apparently Mark of the Astro Zombies features uh, reptilians, a uh, common conspiracy mm-hmm. theory. I, I kind of, I, I nearly chose that because I chose M3 because it was the only one that was on Prime. But then uh, on further review, really a, a great deal of, of Mr. Mickle's work is on uh, Tubi. So I almost was like, eh, well, let's go back and watch the second one. But I, I had a, a suspicion that perhaps the second one might have been more of a passion project. That might have been mm-hmm. something where he's like, oh, I have an untold story about this thing I made 40 years ago, and I'm going to make it in my old age. But the third one and the fourth one, there's no way. These are, these are even still six, seven years after he made the second one. These can't have mm-hmm. any passion in them whatsoever. So that's why I stuck with three. I was like, well, this is just yeah. going to be the laziest cash grab you'll ever see. Well, and this is like this is like a full decade or whatever after Mark of the Astro Zombies, the second one, right? That is 2004, so it is okay. six years later. Six years later, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. It doesn't seem like, I don't think there's a lot of passion here. Uh, it certainly doesn't seem like it. Um, it's also a completely boring slog. I, I don't even know, like, what, there's not a lot that goes on here. It, it kind of feels like Ted's kind of making things up as he goes along. <laughs> Uh, perhaps. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, like, even how to describe this movie. It is, it, I, I guess it's if you took one of these shitty 60s, like, Z-grade sci-fi films, and then you, you removed all the charm and camp from it, and Mm. then just made it on a shitty DV camera in some asshole's backyard with the same fucking nonsense script, you'd come up with something like this, and it is nearly impossible to watch because there's like a solid hour where the titular astro zombies are just like a single guy kind of like laying on a a table getting experimented on while all of these uh, nonsensical plot threads are happening it's just like here's a scientist here's a conspiratorial organization something about the government and bioterrorism and God bless if you could figure out what the fuck's happening, because it's mm-hmm. just... And it's not a matter of it's the third movie in a series. None of this has anything to do, really, with the previous films in the series, except for uh, the existence of the Astro Zombie, and also, I believe, the existence of... Uh, what is her name? Satana, uh, which... Yeah, Tura Satana plays Malvina Satana. Uh, I mean, quote-unquote plays... This is credited as her last film. Um, she's probably kind of like the most famous of his, of his players. She she kind of had like a a little bit of a cult following, mm-hmm. uh, but she's not in this movie really. That's bullshit. She's it, she's like fucking Obi Wan Kenobi, like projected out of a table, you know, the cheapest shittiest way possible. Uh, <laughs> so to call this her last film is a bit disingenuous, I would say. Sure, sure, yeah. There's there's really not a lot to grab onto here, um, which is funny because, you know, it, it does do my favorite uh, cost of content move, which is, you know, take take something that could be executed very simply. In this case, here's a man with a rubber mask and a machete killing people. But somehow let's make it the most convoluted bullshit ever. Something that requires a budget a million times higher than what we have. But God damn it, this is the story we have to tell. And uh, they, they try to tell it. Um, but, but, you know, like you said, too, it is, it's, it's hard to follow what's going on. It looks like shit. It sounds like shit. Um, it's, it's not fun. I'll tell you that. I don't understand. Why isn't it like 75 minutes long? They might get away with this because, like, the back end is just, like, endless fucking stupid bullshit of a guy in a Halloween USA mask getting blown up with uh, dart guns but i uh, there's no reason this is 105 minutes long what the fuck is even happening yeah i don't know i mean i mean coleman what 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 do you think about this one like did it grab you at any point 
you, you know, the first few minutes I was kind of like, well, this is obviously a mess, but I'm not hating it. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of got a kick out of the scene where the, the old lady's feeding her cat. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's strange. Got she eats the chuckles. cat food. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just... <laughs> And then when she's murdered, they just do a tight close-up of the cat's face. It looks like the cat is crying. It's not, but I thought that was great. It's like, I'm a, I'm along for the ride here. This this might be fun. Uh, but then I just completely lost interest because I just completely lost my place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to Ted V. Mickle's credit, um, this is a, that's a hard sentence to finish. Um, <laughs> He he is better, like, you know, for the most part, this is just absolute trash uh, of the highest order. But there's there's little flares here and there where you're like, OK, you could tell this guy's been doing it for a while. You, you think if you're making a movie and you've been doing this for like 50 years, you'd be a little bit better at it by now. Um, I'm sure that's what people say about us podcasting. But uh, there's, there, there are there's occasional, occasional moments where you're like, oh, yeah, he kind of knows what he's doing. Uh, and then those moments kind of fade away and you're left with I ask uh, you to point, zombies. Point one of these moments in the movie out. I mean, they follows <laughs> most of the conventional, like formal rules of filmmaking. He doesn't. I mean, he's not like, I don't know. It, no, you're right. It, it is kind of shitty, but. I guess by caustic content standards, he's got a steadier hand than some. But uh, <laughs> overall, though, it's it's a pretty miserable fucking experience. I guess if you're a big Ted V. Mickles guy, you're a completionist, you're a real Astro Zombies head, which I will say the original Astro Zombies with John Carradine, that's a kick-ass poster. Looks great. If it was 1969 and I, and I was you know walking down the street and saw the poster for Astro Zombies, I would be all over that shit. Uh, that's another deterrent with Mark of the Astro Zombies is is they he must have hired an actual like poster artist to make the thing because it's it harkens back to the original one and also you're mm-hmm. like you look at the poster and you're like okay maybe that's a real movie then they show footage from it you're like oh my fucking god yeah whereas uh, the the ones after that Astro Zombies M three cloned um, and then uh, what are the other ones? Uh, the Astro Zombies invade from sp- cyberspace. What? Yeah, it's not. <laughs> yes. No, there's a zero effort on this one. It's like a still from the movie with like the Earth's worst font laid over it. Mm-hmm. It's really good stuff. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty much all there is to it. It's not great, uh, to say the least. But that's OK, because, well, what it's cost of content, we don't expect great. But on occasion. On occasion, we get greatness, and I, I have, uh, I have looked into the eyes of Jesus Christ this weekend, boys. I've seen him. I've seen the Savior, and uh, or at least the Christ allegory of sorts. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Stuart Paul, director, <laughs> writer, Jesus Christ himself. <laughs> um. So I, I got to interject here for a second. When I started watching this, and you see this goofy ass looking guy in his first scene, the actual Stuart Paul, I was like... Mm-hmm. I, We're talking about Deadly Lessons, by the way. Yeah, dear, sorry. Dear <laughs> or the, the, what is it, The Legend of Simon Conjurer? Yeah, yeah. Well, like, That's I, right, alternate title. It's like, this asshole looks, like, very familiar, but I mm-hmm. can't figure out what I've seen him in. And then I remembered, this is maybe a year or two ago, you, Steve, on Twitter... Mm-hmm. made a comment to somebody who tweeted about Stuart Paul and how he had released, I think, like only four or five movies in his career. All of them were written and directed by him, starring him, and he always plays a different version of Jesus Christ in each film. And <laughs> you had responded to this text saying he looks like a low-rent Kenny Omega. And that's when it all <laughs> came together for me. <laughs> that's like that's exactly what he is <laughs> God, i was getting a richard lewis vibe with like uh clancy brown's worst haircut <laughs> a little bit a little bit of latter-day robert plant too <laughs> these are all good just yeah if, if you haven't seen a picture of Stuart paul just mix those things up in your head you pretty much got it um but yeah that's holy shit there you go 
Good job, past me. Um, <laughs> you had heard of Stuart Paul, and it, that's that's by the way not why this movie was picked. It was picked solely because Tubi's image for the film was just a giant fucking close-up <laughs> of John Boyd's face, <laughs> which is really fucking funny to me. I was like, I know this has got to be great. Look at that. It's not even a photo of him from this film. No, no, <laughs> it's fucking weird. It's just like John. Voight's headshot from 2005. Yeah, it looks like like early 2000s internet. Like there's a banner ad, and it's just like punch the old man in the face, and then it like it, it like you click it, and it gives him like a black eye or whatever. That's what it fucking looks like. It's the worst <laughs> like CGI overlaid like weird busted lip black eye thing John Voight face, and then so there's that, which isn't him from the movie at all. And then on top of that, there's there's the title Deadly Lessons. OK, now there is the alternate title, The Legend of, of you know, Mr. Conjurer or whatever. Um, Simon Conjurer. Thank you. Very I'm much. sorry. Simon <laughs> Conjurer. It's not Conjurer. It's Conjurer. The point is, why the fuck is it called Deadly Lessons? Why wouldn't you call it Simon Conjurer or um, it, there's there's a, a reoccurring uh, book slash line in the movie where they talk about. Uh, a, a prophet without a god, right? They, how many times do they say that? Why isn't that the name of the fucking movie? There's a million. You could have chosen anything. You chose deadly less. There's, there's nothing here. We come on. <laughs> I. It's got to be. Uh, again, there's a lot of, uh, as is normal with uh, with cost content. There's a lot of uh, discrepancies with listed dates for release. Uh, Tubi has this at 2013 with the title Deadly Lessons. IMDb. I'll list it as 2006 with the original title of Legend of Simon Conjurer and poster art, real poster art, with the same title on it. Uh, so I, I don't know. Maybe they just were like, well, we got to recoup something out of this. Let's give it a fucking generic name and John Voight's face and throw it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, John Voight, obviously, Academy Award winning actor, uh, quite acclaimed. Um we were just talking about how Ted V. Mickle's film is it, it's it's like super low rent shot on video, quick, cheap, whatever. Deadly Lessons is not just a real ass movie. You know, we, we were talking, Myros and I were texting back and forth like, oh, this isn't cost of content. That's for sure. No, this is like a fucking movie. It's OK, a, it's this is film. like it yeah. is a film. It is a studio film. And this is very interesting to me because. You know, we have all of these uh, these like trash auteurs. You've got your Tommy Wiseaus and your Neil Breens and and whatnot. Now, I don't think Breens ever had much of a budget, but he certainly is independently wealthy. You have a guy like Wiseau. God knows where his money came from to make The Room, but The Room almost looks like a real movie. Almost. Yeah, yeah. maybe if he knew. Uh, that's the difference is he might have had the money to make a real movie, but he he thought he could do it himself. Mm -hmm. Which he he couldn't, as opposed to this, which this guy had no interest in doing it himself. He's like, I'm going to hire the fucking best of the best. Exactly. <laughs> so this movie, it's got a real cinematographer. Two real cinematographers. It's got you. You want to talk about soundtracks? How about the the fucking French motherfucker who did uh, Jacques Demy's Umbrellas of Cherbourg? Like that's that's who is doing the soundtrack <laughs> on Deadly Fucking Lessons, okay? Real ass people, real ass talented people who make real ass movies made this, and it is shot in pristine, beautiful, glistening thirty five millimeter, and it doesn't just look sharp. My God, there's some there's some dolly moves in this. But I was like, excuse me. There is mm -hmm. a shower scene where the camera pans to the side so that a bit of a glass table just barely eclipses a woman's vagina as she turns towards the camera. It is masterful. OK, <laughs> this is this, a like, be beautiful, film. swelling, orchestral, like classic Hollywood score as like John Voight spits a fucking chunk of chewed chocolate in the air. It's like, why? <laughs> and this is not just here in <laughs> lies the beauty, because we, we talk about these movies. You know, you've got your your cheap little indie films. You get your Ted V. Mickles, like grindhouse shit. And the closest you get, the closest you get is you've got like your your Breens and your Wiseaus. 
and you lose it when you get the Hollywood budget because as soon as like you've got a big Hollywood movie and people are like, oh, Battlefield Earth is the worst. Yeah, it sucks, but it sucks in a different way because the studio film removes that that auteur idiot brain and replaces it with a bunch of like idiots and you've got idiot by committee where this is straight up shoot it into my veins, Stuart Paul, but with a gazillion dollars. This is what happens. If, you, if you've ever asked yourself, what do I see if I give a Tommy Wiseau, if I give a Neil Breen, a John DeHart, if I give them a blank fucking check to make whatever they want, this is what you get. <laughs> and for some of professionals as well. <laughs> because the script is the most baby brain, like 12-year-old with head trauma nonsense you have ever fucking witnessed. It's literally about Stuart Paul playing Jesus, more or less, who makes the world a better place by like having small classes where he either teaches five-year-olds to fly or helps like drug addicts not have addictions anymore. So he's, I don't know what he is. He's like Jesus and Tony Robbins, I guess. Yeah. And How David Copperfield, this, maybe? I don't know. He's, yeah, got the, he's a magician as well. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole thing's crazy. And so you would think, you would think it would be enough, okay? Like, I, I was thinking of just, the, you know, in this realm of magical realism, um, the movie uh, uh, Bogus. You remember Bogus? We did that on, on Optimism Vaccine, didn't we? <laughs> Wasn't that yeah, Gerard Depardieu? The movie I went to the uh, premiere. Yes. It's part of the Whoopi cast. Yeah, exactly. We did it. We did it for the Whoopathon, baby. Um so you've got that movie. So it's like this, this like childlike magical realism, whatever. So this is in that same vein. And it's got kind of a cheesy 90s schlocky quality to it. Um, but it, it's not just the magical realism shit. It's also like a weird ass Scooby-Doo murder mystery thing. And John Boyd, his entire character, and he's the worst actor somehow in a field <laughs> of questionable acting. Uh, aside from Mr. Stuart Paul, who is masterful, um, it, it, it's like he, he really is. All he's doing is chomping on chocolate bars. He's just like, oh, that Simon Conjurer, I'll get you. Like the absolute like mustache twisting <laughs> villainous bullshit. Just one note the whole fucking time giving us nothing. It's nuts. Everything is nuts and everything looks so expensive and it's so bad and I don't understand it. And it is it is real transcendent filmmaking. Like, I, I've never seen anything like this. And it's fucking long. Yes. Okay, this is over two hours long. And it absolutely does not need to be. Every single scene in this movie just it, it, it gets to the point where you're like, how how is this still happening? Every single thing, like if something should take 10 seconds of screen time, it takes 10 minutes in this film. It's fucking weird. It's it's great though. I, I I love this is like the best thing I've ever fucking seen. <laughs> it's it's like one of history's great fucking unsolved mysteries. This film. I I don't know. I I this is like a rabbit hole. I spent like four hours, both during and after the movie, like looking up how the fuck this exists, what's happening, why. I still haven't really cracked the case, but yeah, when we say real people, yeah, Michelle Legrand and. That there are two credited cinematographers, one of which worked on stuff like Fatal Attraction and Bad Boys. One of which worked uh, was the I, I'm not saying worked on as in like crew. No, this this guy's the DP for these huge fucking films. And yeah, the other the other cinematographer was one of two cinematographers for uh, Full Metal Jacket. I'm like, what in the fuck could possibly be happening here? Like, I mm -hmm. I just do not understand and. I, it's all about this Paul family, I guess, but I, I, I can't find the origin of that either. But I, I, I suppose we should do a little more with the, the plot of this thing because it, it, it's a mystery. A, the other thing about this script is not only is it like incredibly fucking basic and juvenile, it's also like nobody took a pass at this thing. There's no editing it, like half the sentences that the characters are saying just don't make any sense like they're just mm -hmm. wrong there's all of this flowery bullshit language that 
does not work. It's not correct. It's just like word soup. I I don't. It's such a fucking disaster of a thing. But uh, also wondrous. But yeah, this is. I I I really don't. I I guess Simon Conjure is like. He's listed uh, the descriptions like, oh, he's a professor. I'm like a professor. Uh, he seems to teach uh, five year olds. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, he he seems to go around hypnotizing children and uh, yeah, troubled folks. And this movie centers around one particular uh, class he is holding to cure people of their vices, essentially. Although it, it's phrased in such a, a strange way that it, you would think he was like an exorcist or something. I, I don't, I don't really understand the, the way it's framed, but anyhow, he hands out these books that are just blank books apparently, but instead everyone can fucking see their mind, this story that involves all of them. Uh, and for some reason in a detail that they completely just drop out of the movie, like halfway through, uh, everyone in this book is called by their own name. They have all these identifying, features which again is a movie that's over it's two hours and 17 minutes long and for some reason when we are establishing that the book has identifying features for these various people they, uh, paul finds it necessary to go through and have each and every fucking character exhibit to the camera their identifying feature it doesn't play in anything absolutely not i think one would have sufficed uh i i guess the the major detail here that I uh, feel the need to focus on for no reason is that Simon Conjurer exists in the book as a character called Ryan Plogo, uh, but that's just, <laughs> <laughs> it just disappears. Like, halfway through the story, they just start calling him Simon Conjurer in the book. So I'm like, oh, what the fuck's Ryan Plogo? Why was that a thing? Like, they, they focus on it. They make it a big deal. Like, oh, how come, how come they don't use your name in the book? Prophet man. Um, <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I don't know. I didn't write the book. <laughs> they, 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 you know, they, they made a, a lot of thoughtful choices with the character names too. Like, you know, uh, the, the guy who is a conjurer, his name is Simon conjurer. The uh, child who is rebellious. Wouldn't you know, his name is rebel. The, the vices of each of these, like these people is cast of characters. Holy shit. This fucking <laughs> rocks. So let me get this. Okay, so you've got uh, a fat guy who is a compulsive eater. You've got an anorexic girl. I'm trying to get them all here. You've got an angry black man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you've got um, a guy he, a guy that's just gay, right? He's just gay and he reads comic books. Well, I see sexually <laughs> confused, we'll say, I guess. I don't know. He's, he- <laughs> He's okay. uh, he's like an incel. Yeah. Yeah. So you got him. You've got um, a girl who is, I guess she's supposed to be like bipolar, right? And uh, then and schizoid. And schizophrenic, yeah. And then you've got this other guy who is, he, he just like smokes cigarettes. And yeah. I guess smoking is his vice. That's it. Like he has to go to fucking Simon Conjurer to get stop smoking. Buy a fucking nicotine patch, man. Start vaping. Do so, there's there's lifestyle changes you can make. Um, and then there's the guy who is a compulsive gambler. Um, is, is that everybody? And then and then Rebel, who I, I thought his vice was he's a dickhead, but we are reminded over and over again that he is actually suicidal. He wants to die. Um, although he doesn't make a very convincing case for that. So, yeah, I don't know. There might be one more. Uh, there's like a, the young girls all kind of blend together. Oh, the pill head yeah. girl. Yeah. You know, she's like, I'm addicted to pills. And you know that I'm Pilly McPillhead because I have these pill bottles that I'm just constantly like scarfing down. It's just comical. They're, every Everyone is a giant baby brain caricature of uh, like a normal functioning human. It's very fucking weird and there's no like everyone in this movie is saying what they're thinking like it's just constant exposition no one does anything we learn nothing from their actions they're literally just voiceover or or turning to us and telling us like how they're feeling and what they're thinking it's fucking idiotic and great and i love it (laughs) 
that's the thing. Every every insult that I'm hurling at this movie, every every like baffling moment I'm I, when I'm watching it, I'm just like, yes, <laughs> just drinking it in. Uh, it is so strange because it has like the tone of like a fucking rolled doll thing or something. Like it's like a children's movie, except not. There's like a, a sex scene in the middle of it for no reason. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's what i thought i thought it was gonna be a kids movie when we started watching it and then it got a little bit darker so i was like okay maybe pg pg 13 but still family friendly and then we get like a ton of titty and like simon conjurer who i thought was kind of like you know sexless all of a sudden uh he becomes simon fuck machine and and this is where we get back to the you know the full frontal and and the the whole thing with the, the glass table yeah it's it is some extensive sex scene shit going on here. <laughs> I, that doesn't. I, 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 uh, the Again, end of this movie. Not needed. <laughs> not needed at all. <laughs> what, uh, what is the end of this movie? Like, uh, it tries to do a twist and it makes. It breaks the entire fucking thing. Anything that is vaguely working in this movie. And it's not really working, it's just working like holy shit this is fucking weird <laughs> exactly it's like i i have completely like i'm accepting that, that that this is broken but i'm i'm along for the ride and let's just like take the central concept and take it to its natural conclusion but this movie is obsessed with having like this hollywood ending where everyone is happy and everything gets wrapped up the way it should be and and, and everything's great so what does that mean well it means uh john voight he framed Simon Conjurer for the murder of a child and, and then he he goes to jail okay everybody else gets cured so so they all have revelations as they're like you know trying to uh you know get Simon Conjurer you know find evidence that will prove that he's innocent or whatever and they they each have a separate revelation although it is worth noting i forgot there's an alcoholic lady too uh, there's so many so there's many, many people there's 10 of them there's 10 of them and every single one of them when they have their revelation it all comes down to childhood trauma yeah so that's kind of what the the movie is trying to teach us i think is like um yeah you're we're all products of our childhood trauma including and a surprising amount of childhood traumas derived from uh burglars uh apparently i don't know <laughs> yeah that <laughs> They, they ran out of trauma, so they had to reuse that one a few times. <laughs> Too much burgling. Uh, but anyway, so so everybody gets their shit cleared up, and and each one is in a progressively like more and more ridiculous way. Like at one point, they're like they like jump in a box truck to get away from John Voight, and and the people driving the box truck are actually terrorists. And then the angry <laughs> black man realizes that he could use his anger for good by beating up. This is this is where the movie goes. <laughs> So all these people are happy. Uh, Simon Conjurer gets back with his ex, who is the woman that he was boning under a waterfall, which was inside of a mansion. And then there's something with the anorexic girl where maybe she's not anorexic. And she was like, she was like faking it just to be there or something. Uh, I, I, I know that she had a, okay. So, Oh my God, Jesus Christ! <laughs> so what you're thinking of is that she was in fact anorexic, but she also was like Jones in for fucking Simon Conjurer, who was apparently her teacher or something. Again, I guess he's a professor as well as doing all this other shit. I don't fucking know, but uh, yeah, the reason that's even talked about is because the entire movie doesn't happen it's all a manifestation of their subconscious minds so we see this whole scene early where a void storms in with the cops to to come after simon conjurer and then they all go on this grand adventure uh, on the run from the police and that repeats itself at the end of the movie because really the whole adventure didn't happen it was all it was all you know part of his conjuration to cure them uh so, yeah, all of a sudden we get Voight coming back in and they're like, well, how could anyone have known this would happen? And they explain that away because the anorexic girl and, and we're going to get into uh, why this is also <laughs> even, even more Christ. disgusting and strange. There's layers but, here. 
But the anorexic girl apparently was able to, they explain how this plot was made manifest because she knew that Dr. Krazax, John Voigt, had it out for uh, Simon Conjurer because she had been spending time after class with Simon because she had a schoolgirl crush on him. Uh, this this girl, Lulu, the anorexic, by the way, is played by uh, 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 Stuart Paul's niece. So, yeah, but that, that's who you really probably should write that whole part about the <laughs> wanting to sleep with in the yeah. end of the film. She had to do really good acting so <laughs> we wouldn't know that she just wants to fuck her uncle. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, so so none of this actually happens, right? They, they, they make... They hand wave away the whole movie. They say, oh, none of it happened. It was just it was just part of the exercise. So I, I I don't even know. This whole search for evidence against John Void in in the end, he doesn't even they, they don't even find the evidence. No one finds evidence. He just kinda confesses it. Uh someone sees him throw uh, the child off a roof. Uh and the person who sees him throw the child off the roof is actually Rebel's father. Even though Rebel is introduced as a street tough uh, kid who had lost his father, uh, in fact, this this is the most insane thing in the entire film. Oh, I don't understand this at all. I, I have no idea what is happening. Rebel is apparently the son of a billionaire who is mm -hmm. in the class for. Oh, I don't fucking know. I I don't have any idea. It makes no sense. Uh, apparently, his mother. Must have been a student of Simon Kajur, I guess. But uh, why is Rebel in this class? Yeah, okay. And that's what I don't understand. Is Rebel actually a dickhead who is transformed into a nice kid at the no. end of the movie? Okay. I don't think so. And he, and he, and he's, okay. And he, so he is presented as a dickhead, but he's not a dickhead. And he's not actually a boy without a father. He actually has a father who's a billionaire. But then why is he there? And the answer is we don't we don't actually know. We're I guess sure. he was like sent undercover by his nurse mother who was a student of Simon Conjure. To what uh, end? I have no idea. Also, if she was a student of Simon Conjure's, then why didn't Simon Conjure recognize her in the opening scene? It, the whole thing just yeah. fails to make any fucking sense whatsoever. No, it doesn't make any sense. I, I love that opening scene, though, with Simon Conjure and the, uh, the, the nurse mom, because uh, the, and this is one of the great things about this script. It does this thing where it, it knows where it wants to go and will get there by any means necessary, uh, regardless of whether or not it makes sense. And so this nurse is like, oh, you have to help my son. He needs your class so badly. And he's just like, well, I was going to cancel class. She's like, no, don't. He's like, okay, I won't. Uh, tell him to be there at seven. No, he can't. You need to pick him up. I'm like, what? Why? Uh, and he's like, okay, I'll pick up your son for a class that I didn't want to have anyways, which is like, what the fuck? And the whole reason why is just so you could have this like ridiculous scene where... I, I guess Simon Conjure lets Rebel drive his Hummer. Simon Conjure, Jesus drives a fucking Hummer, and then With like thirty-five television it. screens of his own face talking at him. Yeah, <laughs> and then the payoff is at the end. Rebel's actual billionaire father gives Simon Conjure a big check for a lot of money. All that for just a check. That's what we needed to do. It's, it's absolutely fucking crazy. And wouldn't you know, it's from it's from the minds that brought us baby geniuses, by the way. Oh, we'll get into that. I, I will get into the Pauls here. We're, we're going to have to get into it. Um, yeah. The uh, other thing, like that kid playing Rebel and Rebel's mm -hmm. significance to this whole movie. I don't fucking get it. Like he's the opening narration in the film, too. And immediately yeah. you're like, oh boy, this is going to be fucking something. Because this kid, Jermaine DeLeon, who actually has like a, a moderate career, and I think he's fine when he's not playing Rebel, but holy shit, to ask this motherfucker to do this stupid streetwise Brooklyn accent, it's the worst thing. <laughs> and It's awful. And also this movie takes place in Los Angeles, so why the fuck is this even in the goddamn movie to begin with? Uh, yeah. It's it doesn't make any sense. 
It's every every moment of this movie is baffling. Just total like jaw on the floor. What am I watching? And it looks so fucking slick while it's doing it. It's crazy. Absolutely broke my brain into a million pieces. Um, so we we got to get into the Pauls uh, yeah, because Paul. it's a rabbit hole. But uh, before we depart, Coleman, do you have any further things to add? I know we've been kind of, uh, you know, monopolizing the microphone here, ranting about this goddamn movie. Uh, I mean, I'm right there with you guys. Um, pretty much had the exact same experience. Uh, I will make the comment, though, that I initially tried to start watching this movie after I had been working all day and um, <laughs> had taken a THC gummy. Oh, and um, that definitely didn't enhance the experience, but I did feel like I dreamt up parts of the movie, like the kids flying the first act or first scene, and it just... Yeah, uh, this is... This is this affected me. <laughs> <laughs> Coleman learned a deadly lesson about edibles. Uh, yeah. That's right. And also, like I thought, like um, John Voight looked a lot like a villain in the Dick Tracy movie. Was he wearing a fake nose? I couldn't. I even... think he's definitely wearing a fat suit. Okay, there's got there's there's some prosthesis going on here that I don't understand. There's something happening with his nose. There's something with his hair that I don't like. He's, he's got a slouchy fat suit thing going. It's very strange. Yeah, it looks like him and Pruneface are about to take down Dick Tracy. <laughs> it's, it's pretty much it. And again, I mentioned this earlier. John Voight is the worst actor in this movie by a country mile. And, and that's saying something because, again, like the, the kid that plays Rebel is a real piece of shit, too. Uh, it, it, it's wild up up is down it, it, nothing in this movie makes sense but it it's just the most compelling thing i've ever watched uh it's up there i uh, yeah uh, his whole character trait is that he eats chocolate all the fucking time he's just slamming down chocolate bars yeah and he doesn't like simon conjurer because simon conjurer like releases people from their demons and uh john voight's dr krasix krasix his whole thing is you should kill yourself. <laughs> That's What's his whole like I don't guru. know. He writes books. <laughs> yeah, but the books are titled like "Suicide." Why not? Like, <laughs> <sighs> yeah. It's, it's then, again, how mystifying is the fucking prop room of his library? What the fuck? That must have cost so much money. Oh. Yeah, that's that's cool too. Like the entire John Voight, like. Oh, high rise apartment scene. You're just like, what the fuck? There's all this expensive looking shit. And then uh, a big part of John Voight's character is he has the entirety of the library of Alexandria in his, in his uh, house. So most people right. are like, oh, didn't that burn down? No, John Voight's got it. And they're not faking anything. These are not like, uh, these are not books that someone bought. These are all like fucking made prop books. They're all yeah. white for some reason, and there's like Fucking a thousand papyrus. of them. It's like, what the <laughs> fuck? Why? Everything looks really expensive. And the, the only real CGI moments here, I mean, you got kids flying around and shit, but that might be like some wire work green screen nonsense. Yeah. But the only like real CGI is there's, there's a scene where, and this is the only time the movie looks really fucking cheap. There's a scene where John Voight's got this snake, a pet snake, and oh, a police officer is investigating the, the John Void apartment. And there's a big red button and the cop hits it. And the worst looking like <laughs> 1993 <laughs> Super Nintendo ass fucking CGI rat drops out of the ceiling and the snake eats it. It looks like total <laughs> shit. And it's great because in a movie that looks so just like slick and highly produced and just like bafflingly good. When that happens, it's it's just it's wonderful. It makes it so much more satisfying. Well, there is also uh, Simon Conjurer's high rise plummet. That's not looking too great. That's not looking great either. You're right. That's yeah. <laughs> That's the other little bit. OK, give me a quick rundown now. What What's going on with the fucking Paul brothers, man? What What are these guys? So. This is written by Simon Paul and Stuart Paul. I have no provenance on, on Simon Paul whatsoever. Uh, the key name here is Stephen Paul, who's producing this film, uh, and is Stuart Paul's brother. 
Uh, there are also other members of this fucking family. Uh, the casting director is their mother. Um, Bonnie Paul is the sister, and she plays uh, the alcoholic woman in the film. And like I said, her daughter, Skylar Shea, uh, plays the woman who wants to fuck uh, Stuart Paul. So, yeah, there's a lot of family affair here. Um, but Stephen Paul, I guess, is the key to unlocking this, but I still haven't fucking unlocked it because I don't... They've never made... He's a producer. He's a he's a big-wig producer, I guess, but he's produced nothing that that has been successful, to my mind. Like, he's... None of these credits are good or or like hits i i don't fucking know like they're big he made he's credited again self-credited i don't i highly doubt it's accurate anymore as being like the youngest person to direct a studio film with this movie falling in love again in 1980 uh these guys are associated with such smash hits as never too young to die which is a fun movie but certainly a, a fiasco in its time and they uh he actually produced and wrote this is Stephen paul the fucking slapstick vonnegut movie with the uh jerry lewis that's supposed to be one of the worst movies ever made <laughs> uh, and yeah their biggest th- this whole paul family their biggest thing is i would say baby geniuses and that they've somehow and that's not a thing that was a hit everyone fucking hated that uh it's like a punchline but i i don't know he's apparently also and and this is the key here uh john voigt's manager (laughs) and bob clark's manager uh he certainly has done wonders for both of their careers uh including associating both with the baby genius fucking franchise not that uh, John Voight is in either Baby Genius film, but he is in stuff like uh, Baby Geniuses in and the Space Baby in 2015, and Baby <laughs> Geniuses and the Treasures of Egypt in 2014. I didn't know there was four Baby Geniuses. I always thought there was just two. There's a TV series as well, apparently. I, I, again, oh, wow. where is this money coming from? I have no idea, because especially in the early list of their films... There's nothing. There's no. There's no fucking like hits. Uh, so, the the th- only thing I can think of is that their father is really associated vaguely with as a producer on some of these works, but uh, he's also listed as an investment. Like it, it, that's what he is. Like he he came out of Wall Street, I think. So I'm gonna guess that this guy, their father, uh, must have. Just he must have just shown up with a, a pile of money in California and just kind of let his kids go hog fucking wild. And I, I guess Stephen has made something of himself. Stewart really doesn't exist very much. He has like five, four or five movies, and again, they they all seem to be some variation of this. And there are not a lot of them. Uh, he's got more movies now, but it seems like in in the last few years he's just been like making shitty horror movies uh something mm-hmm. called doll face and nun's deadly confession so um well there is a movie he did at uh, some point in the 80s called eminon yes now were you going to talk about it did i just uh, uh, ruin that no no oh. you're fine on that but he apparently I mean, he plays a homeless version of jesus and apparently he invents the derelict line of fashion oh. 15 years before ben stiller did the same thing in Zoolander. <laughs> did Ben Stiller steal from Stuart Paul? It's entirely uh, possible. I choose to believe yes. Yes, he did. <laughs> so, yeah, he was gonna... He made that Eminon film, which I, again, this is not... You you see a film called Eminon about, like, told through the eyes of a child watching a homeless man. You're like, oh, what dad come out of Brazil or something? It's like, no, these are fucking like white assholes uh, making their huge money in wall street and making a movie called eminon whatever the fuck that is supposed to be i don't have any Dude, goddamn all idea. the all of his movies have great titles like the 2018 movie heaven and hell the original title for it before it was changed was just reverse heaven which is super cool well so. em- eminon <laughs> is a reverse no name 
Mm. Oh. <laughs> so he made he made that, and then he made like a rom com called Fate, which also stars him. And uh, it, these are both huge bombs. That is a streaming for free on YouTube. It's a shitty VHS copy, but uh, well, I'm probably gonna be watching it soon enough. <laughs> I, I actually just sent you a link. Excellent. <laughs> You're Excellent. welcome. And then he disappears for 16 years before Deadly Lessons, or you know, before. Simon Conjure, and then maybe seven more before it's re-released as Deadly Lessons. Um, yeah, so like what, what goes on, yeah, what goes on between, like what the fuck is he doing? I have point? no fucking idea. I feel like there was a breaking point with Stephen Paul and like directing. Uh, uh -huh. So maybe they just got out of it. Because there's this movie Eternity, which stars, uh, wait for it, John Voight. Uh, hmm. In 1990, it stars John Voight, Armand Asante, Wilford Brimley. This is a pretty decent-sized film. Real people. Yeah, and it, it is supposedly another of these things that is just like an unbelievable fiasco. Uh, so I, that was kind of the end of Stephen Paul's run as a director, a filmmaker. Uh, he has since done basically nothing. Uh, apparently a couple of Israeli propaganda pieces in the last two years here it looks like oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> but he just moved solely to production and i'm gonna guess that probably stewart just did the same i mean he he didn't go into production into the in the way that steven did but he probably also was just they kind of gave up uh they took a shot and they gave up but steven moved behind the scenes and has produced a whole fucking lot of terrible goddamn things so, uh, and John Voight's been there the whole fucking time. It, it's kind of crazy. And yeah, they're, they're still doing Hallmark movies with John Voight. Dude, he, he did, uh, Stephen Paul produced the Nicolas Cage Ghost Rider. That's cool. Oh, yeah. and the Tekken movie? Yes. And Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance? This is like a real who's who of, uh... <laughs> yeah, I was looking through his whole thing. I feel like he, he has produced one good movie. Uh, and that most people don't even like, which is uh, Neil Marshall's Doomsday. <laughs> oh. In uh, wow. like 30 years, he's produced one good movie to my mind. But Yeah, he, you have him to thank for many, many fucking things that you don't give a yeah. shit about or, or forgotten. As far as like studio grade caustic content goes, he's he's a machine. He's like a factory. Unbelievable. Huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's quite wild. So you look at all of these things, and not only are they bad, but most of them were horrible failures. Like, you don't look at these and go, oh, that's a shitty movie, but man, it made bank. It's not like fucking Ghost Rider was some smash hit or something. No, it did poorly. Everything here did poorly. All of it is bad and poorly performing so i don't know if there's some grand money laundering front going on here or what that's a common speculation uh, you know allegedly uh it's a possibility that this could be some sort of strange front but i don't fucking understand it at all it's just it's completely a mystery to me but yeah the the other notable thing i suppose is is that uh well it's stephen paul's no, I think it's Bonnie Paul's daughter, that's Skylar Shea, who, if you look her up, uh, probably her most notable uh, recurring thing was on uh, Ray Donovan, which is not associated with the Pauls, but I'll be damned if it doesn't star one John Voight. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so weird. I just, I gotta get, I mean, I don't want to talk to John Voight. He seems like a real dickhead, uh, but I'd love to get all the Pauls in a room and just be like, can you... Explain all of this to me. I need... Yeah, who is this for? Is it just for you? Yeah. Is this for you? Did you spend like $50 million on a movie for you? Because that's all I can that's, think of. That's cool. I just... I don't know. I need to figure out how to fail upwards. That's my problem. I keep failing, but in the wrong direction. Man, I, I just don't get how it could be a legitimate business. Like, how much money could this guy have fucking shown up to Hollywood with? Because you mm -hmm. can't just make fucking... 75 movies that fail and be okay not unless you're making hundred dollar movies which rest assured these are all expensive movies for the most part uh yeah. it's just it, it just got it makes you wonder this is this a legitimate business is there something uh fishy going on here i'm not sure but you know 
John Voight is along for the ride. Well, if Simon Conjurer was here, he'd say that it, it's it's really our own fate that we control, and it's whatever we want it to be. So, um, in in my world, it's money laundering, but we'll see. Um, I don't know. I don't think there's anything else to say, really. It's just, it is truly a baffling and masterful film. And one of the few things in the history of this series where I would say, uh, you know, run, don't walk, run to your TV, flip on fucking Tubi. It's free to download Tubi. Get that Tubi app fired up. Watch yourself a little bit of Deadly Lessons, okay? It's going to change your life. It is transcendent. Oh, that's the other weird note. When he returned, when Stuart Paul returned to Hollywood after 15 years, he directed both Deadly Lessons and the final song under the pseudonym Q Mark for some reason. Hmm. I, I mean, it left me with a lot of questions. So maybe the question mark is is apt, I guess. Hmm. What, what a strange. Everything is so yeah. strange with this. A lot, of, a lot of Q Marks with this one, for sure. For sure. All right. Well... You know, we, we have to cast our votes. So, uh, Myros, uh, why is, is your film Astro Zombies M3 cloned? Why is, why is that the worst film we watched today? I, I mean, I can't even remember what the fuck happened in it. It's a movie where, like, seven fat guys in Halloween masks run around for almost two hours for God knows why. Your movie is a legitimate fucking fascinating mystery that, uh, that I love. And uh, my movie is... Perhaps the least fascinating thing we've ever watched. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's pretty safe to say my movie's worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I know this is this is supposed to be the part where I, I go to bat and tell you that Deadly Lessons is somehow the worst movie, but it's not. It's it's like the best fucking thing I've ever seen. So uh, I'm, I'm voting against myself this week because, holy shit, I have unearthed greatness. Um. I, unfortunately, it doesn't look like this is available on Blu-ray, but there seems to be maybe a, a DVD available somewhere, possibly. Uh, I, I need I need this released legitimately. Why can't we can we have like a Paul Brothers or just like a uh, like a Stuart Paul box set from Vinegar Syndrome or something? That would be ideal for me. Oh, I'm with you. I want to watch these like 80s and 90s things, especially this Eternity yeah. movie. I, I'm I'm fascinated with what the fuck this could possibly be, because it does seem to be the genesis of the Stephen Paul John Void. I, I need commentary tracks. I need behind the scenes interviews. I need a lot. OK, so whoever's listening, for the love of God, get on this. We need the Paul brothers. Uh, Mr. Coleman, uh, normally you'd be the deciding vote. <laughs> But uh, did, did you did you have a did you find a worse movie of the bunch here? I actually think it was um, uh, Deadly Lessons. I, I'm kidding, of course not. Um, <laughs> because I mean, like I said, I mean, this movie affected me, and I've been thinking about it to my detriment in a way constantly. Whereas Asteroid Astro Zombies has just kind of washed over me with no effect. Uh, mm -hmm. except I did again, like the cat scene. Um, yeah, but that's fair. I think, uh, later tonight I'm going to jump into heaven and hell, oh, which is also on Tubi. My God. You know, you know what they call that? A little bit of the old reverse heaven. I might fire that one up later too. Well, uh, I guess that seals the deal. And, uh, the win goes to Adam Myros. Uh, what a, is our score nine to five right now? Uh, yes, it is too. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm dancing on the edge of death this season um i i don't i don't know what happened i feel like colin fucked me a few times there <laughs> well is, he's done his share of damage to me as well this is true that's true what he's gonna do yeah yeah well i mean yeah I, I don't think maybe maybe mr coleman here has has surprised me one or two times but for the most part yeah i i, I think with colin it's it's always just complete shot in the dark i never know what i'm getting so uh yeah I don't know. I'm, we got a Colin episode. It could be my demise, or I, I could I could be making a comeback. We'll see. But if you are listening to this podcast right now, do us a big favor and uh, check out the description. There's a couple of links. One will take you to our Patreon page. And uh, if you're not a patron already, it would be great for you to become a patron of Optimism Vaccine. Uh, that will get you exclusive content. And also, uh, I'll, I'll mail you something. That's right. I'm going to send you a uh, movie from my personal collection. Uh, if I had Deadly Lessons, would I send you Deadly Lessons? No, I wouldn't. 
I would never part with such a thing. But assuming, you know, you could get anything. It could be a Blu-ray, a DVD, a box set, a VHS tape. Uh, you don't know what you get. You don't know. So, uh, yeah, throw us any amount of money. You get exclusive content, and you also get some shit in the mail. That's cool. How fun is that? Uh, there's also a link that will take you to our iTunes page where uh, you can rate and review the podcast if you've not done so yet, and that is super helpful to us because algorithms and shit, man. Just give us five stars and a written review. It helps. Uh, if you need to contact us, you got an idea for some caustic content. You got a, you got a way for us to talk to one of the Paul brothers, man. You know Stuart Paul or Stephen Paul, any Pauls. You Jake know, maybe Paul. just a guy, Jake Paul, Logan Paul. Uh, yeah, just uh, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. That's optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Or you can tweet at us at optimismvaccine. And we want to talk to you if you're a Paul brother. We need, we need you. This, this needs to be discussed. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, with that, I think that just about wraps everything up. So, uh, I don't know, go watch Reverse Heaven. 